Well, Lisa and I recently spent a week in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, with our whole family, so it was, it was a great week, great to get away and be out there. Uh, we were there for our son Zach's wedding, which was awesome. He's the last of our four kids to get married, uh, so we are really happy about that, kind of past the milestone now. Um, and uh, we're thrilled to have Zach's uh, new wife, Anna, not new wife, well, she is a new wife, but his first wife, his wife, Anna, uh, as the latest addition to our family. Uh, and during the week leading up to the wedding, we did all sorts of fun stuff. We were there, like I said, with our whole family. The grandkids were with us, which was a lot of fun. It also took about a week to recover from, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Um, but on one of those days, we went to Muir Woods, which is a 250-acre old-growth forest of giant coast or uh, giant uh, uh, coast redwood trees just 12 miles north of San Francisco. It's a, it's a beautiful place. If you're ever out there, you should, you should get there. Well, coast redwoods start as a little seed, a seed that's no larger than a tomato seed, and then they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. The largest tree in Muir Woods is 250 feet tall. That's a big tree, uh, big tree. Another place is just north of there a little bit. Some of those coast redwoods grow as high as 370 feet tall. They're huge and have trunks that are up to like over 20 feet wide, if you can imagine that. It's, there's really something. Most of the redwoods in Muir Woods are between 500 and 800 years old, but one of them in that forest has been growing for at least 1,200 years. So what is that? That's, this is 2100. That's like, that's a long time ago. Whatever year that was. Long time ago. Well, all of that growth in the redwoods kind of got me thinking about our growth as followers of Jesus. So today as we continue our series called Circles, I'm going to talk about why God wants us to grow as followers of Jesus and one of the most important ways we do that. You know, I think it's easy for us to be mistaken when we answer that why question, to have the wrong idea about that. And if we're mistaken about the why, we will also get off track on the how. Um, and then our efforts to grow may not actually produce the kind of joy and peace and love and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit that we were hoping for. Well, trees in general, and I think these redwoods in particular, have a thing or two they can teach us about growing. So today we're going to look at what the Bible and trees have to say to us. So uh, are you ready? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us and fill us and encourage us and draw us more deeply into the life of God this morning, we pray. We, we love you, Jesus. We love that we can gather here in your name. We love the fact that you are here with us as we gather, and we open ourselves now to you and to everything you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in the Psalms today, and I'm going to read to you Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Well, in loving trees, I love trees. In loving trees, I, I, I seem to be in good company with God. Did you know that other than people and God himself, trees are the most frequently mentioned living thing in the Bible? Little known fact for you for some trivia games someday. Uh, there are trees in the first chapter of Genesis. There are trees at the end of the book of Revelation. And there are trees scattered throughout the pages in between. An article in Christianity Today that I read claimed that almost every major character and every major theological event in the Bible has an associated tree. I'd like to fact check that sometime, but it sounds good, and I certainly, I certainly know that trees show up a lot in the Bible. And here in the first psalm, which serves as an introduction to all of the psalms, what does God talk about? A tree, right? Now, of course, the tree isn't really the point. The tree is the illustration. The tree is meant to help us see why God wants us to grow. Think about those redwoods for a minute again. There they are. I mean, they're absolutely massive. But they're beautiful trees. They're strong. They're, they're majestic. And in all of their beauty and all of their strength and all of their majesty, they are fully living out the purpose for which God created them, right? They're living out what they're supposed to be. Well, we talk here about how God's purpose for us is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That we would become like Jesus. That we would live a life of love like Jesus lives. That we would love God, love others, period. Amen? That's our purpose. But even when we get that, even when we understand that, I think it's possible for us to miss God's heart, to miss his desire for us. This psalm starts with the words, blessed is the one. Well, that word blessed could just as accurately be translated as happy. Happy is the one. Is it for me? I don't think we really understand just how much God wants us to be blessed. You know, just how much he wants us to be happy. How much he wants to fill our lives with joy. You know, the reason God wants us to be transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others is because that really is the only way we can experience everything it means to be blessed, to be happy. No one is more blessed or more happy than God. Uh, you know, no one is more full of joy or more full of every other good thing than Jesus, right? And he wants us to become like him. You know, I think all too often, at least at some level, our motivation to grow as Christians is shaped by our own fear and shame. We think that the reason we're supposed to grow is because at some level, God is unhappy with us. We suspect that it is because he is unhappy with us 
that he wants us to be better people and think better thoughts and behave better and live as better Christians. And if we don't, watch out. We'll be in trouble. Which is a little confusing because I thought Jesus died for my sins, right? Uh, And so even though I I know it says I've been forgiven, I think often we still, you know, I feel ashamed. I feel at least a little bit afraid. And then doing things to grow as a Christian becomes this duty. It becomes this responsibility that we feel like we need to fulfill in order to make God happy with us. But maybe we also suspect that doing those things gets in the way a bit of doing things that would make ourselves happy. So it becomes a little bit of a conflict there, right? The picture that God wants us to remember when we ask why he wants us to grow is the picture of a tree planted by streams of water. You know, the Bible is a Hebrew book written by people living in the Middle East where much of the land is desert, where it doesn't rain all that much. The picture of a tree planted by a stream of water isn't supposed to be just this nice, peaceful, pastoral kind of setting, right? That's not the point. It means that this tree has nothing to be afraid of. It means that the tree can trust the stream, It can trust that it's cared for. It can trust that it's provided for. It can trust that it will always have everything that it needs. A tree planted by a stream of water is living the best life this tree can possibly live. It's a picture of being blessed. It's a picture of being happy. It's a picture of being fulfilled in every way. I don't know about you, but, but, but I've never seen a tree that was ashamed of itself. Not that I know of. I mean, I don't think oak trees look at birch trees and think, what's wrong with me? You know, why isn't my bark white like that birch tree? Or why aren't I bigger and stronger, you know, like that, or like that, you know, than this other tree? Why aren't I a redwood, you know? Trees don't think, I'm pretty sure God's disappointed with me. They just don't think that. They're just trees, Right? They seem pretty content with who they are. The reason we're supposed to grow as Christians isn't because God is unhappy with us. I mean, sure, there's lots of things in our lives that need to be transformed. Don't get me wrong. There are ways we need to grow, ways our lives need to be better than they are. But God won't be any happier with us once we're changed. He won't love us anymore once we're transformed than he already does right now. Amen? That's a good thing to soak in a little bit. God will never love you any more than he does right now. He'll never be any more pleased with you than he is right now because he couldn't possibly be because he loves you with all of his love. You are his beloved child. It's a good thing to soak in. The reason God wants us to grow is because in his absolute delight in us, he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have as much delight in ourselves and in the life he has given us 
as he has in us. And he wants us to know that we can always trust him for all that we need, just like that tree can trust the stream. What God wants for us is what the Bible calls shalom, right? It's this absolute, complete well-being. God doesn't use fear and shame to motivate us to grow. That comes from somewhere else. God invites us to grow so that fear and shame can be driven from our lives. God wants us to grow so that we can experience more and more what it really means to be happy, to be blessed. Not some shallow definition that we might pick up from our culture. And the only way that can happen is as we learn to trust God and practice trusting God like a tree planted by streams of water. We grow by trusting God. Right? We grow by trusting God. And that is a long, slow, and sometimes painful process. Bristlecone pines are another uh, fascinating kind of tree that grow in the western mountains of the United States. So these trees grow where almost nothing else does. Sometimes up high in the mountains, as high as two miles or more above sea level. And they can live for thousands of years. The oldest bristlecone pine that we know of is 4,800 years old. That's old. Considering the harsh conditions where they live with poor soil and not much rain, you know, incredible temperature differences, uh, it's incredible that they should live so long or even survive at all. But it's actually those harsh conditions that enable them to live so long. The harsh conditions cause the wood of the bristlecone pine to grow in a way that is, is very, very dense and full of resin. And that keeps insects and disease out of the wood, and it prevents the wood from rotting as it gets older. Uh, one researcher said that bristlecone pines, if, if they were in a, you know, better conditions, grew in richer conditions, th they would grow faster, but they would also die earlier and they would soon decay. It is the harshness of their surroundings that is the vital factor that makes them strong and sturdy. Well, as I've shared in the past, I'm, I'm sure here probably ad nauseum, one of my struggles in, in trusting God over the years has been in the area of money. You know, I've had this fear, probably going back to things in childhood, of not having enough. And, and when you have the fear of not having enough, it seems like the obvious solution would be to get more, right? That would be the solution. You want God to make you rich, or if not rich, at least beef up my savings account a little bit so I don't have to be afraid, right? That, that would be the solution it would seem like would make sense to me. I mean, after all, doesn't it say in Psalm 1 that we should prosper? So come on, God, bring it on. But we know what's wrong with that solution. If you are afraid of not having enough, no matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. The real problem isn't the enough. The problem is the fear. 
So God in his love for us invites us to grow. And often what that means is he will lead us into situations which are opportunities to trust him. Not necessarily how we see them, but that's what they are, right? Because if it's an opportunity to trust him, it is also an opportunity to be afraid instead. We always have the choice. We don't have to trust him. We always have the option of being afraid and then out of that fear, coming up with our own solutions to the problems that are shaped by fear. But God continually invites us to trust him. He never gets up, gives up on us. You know, he invites us to trust him more and more, even in times of adversity, even in times when it doesn't seem like God is doing anything for us. He invites us to trust him. He invites us to trust him so that we can learn that he can be trusted and so that we can be truly blessed, which would be a life without fear, right? No matter what the circumstances, that we can be like a tree planted by streams of water. We grow by trusting God. And as we do that, then the psalm says we will bear fruit in every season. That's the goal, right? That's the goal of growth. Every tree that is healthy bears fruit, whether that's an apple or a cherry or a pine cone or those little whirlybird seeds that come flying down. Every tree bears some kind of fruit. Jesus said in John 15, if you will abide in me, you will bear much fruit. In other words, if you keep growing by staying close to me and by trusting me and depending on me like a tree planted by streams of water, you will bear much fruit. And then Galatians 5 tells us what that fruit is. Instead of a life filled with fear and shame, we'll be filled with love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. In other words, we'll be like Jesus. Isn't it interesting that in Galatians 5, if you go read this later, it talks about the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are works They are what we produce, what we make happen through our own efforts when we do things that are shaped by fear or shame. But the fruit of the Spirit are fruit, not works. They are fruit that only God can produce in us. The fruit is what God produces in us when we trust him, like a tree planted by streams of water. It just naturally emerges or supernaturally, I guess. We grow by trusting God. So what do we do to grow? You know, how do we do that? How do we actually grow as people who trust God? Well, Psalm 1, I'm going to read again the first part of it. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This is what I believe those verses are saying. Again, to hear it this way, you have to not be listening to them based on fear and shame, I think. It matters which story we're listening to. 
That's what it's telling us. It matters which story we're listening to. See, the thing is, we are all growing all of the time in one direction or another. We're all being discipled into something all of the time. Either we are growing in things like fear and shame or we're growing in our trust in God. It's going to be one or the other. And a large part of what determines how we are growing, which direction we are growing, is which story we're paying attention to. Are we listening to the story that's so easy to hear that we're not doing enough, we don't have enough, or we aren't enough? Or are we listening to the story God tells us? Are we listening to the story that's so easy to hear that we're not safe, that we should be afraid, that our future is in jeopardy, that the world is falling apart? Or are we listening to the story that God tells us? The word translated as law in Psalm 1 is Torah, which is a name for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Almost all of the time when you see that word law in the Bible, it's referring to the whole Torah, to those five books. Now, the Torah does contain the Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments, but the Torah is so much more than that. Those commandments are given in the context of a story, and the story makes all the difference. The story in the Torah is all about how much God loves us and how he is always with us and how he can always be trusted and how he can always be depended upon and how he is always faithful. Those five books also tell the story of how you are enough. Not perfect, still in need of growth, but already loved by God as you are and lacking nothing you need to become all you were created to be. Amen. When the author of Psalm 1 wrote that we should meditate on the law day and night, I don't think he was saying we should memorize the laws, the Ten Commandments, and think about them constantly, fearful of breaking them because God is watching us, which is how I learned it growing up, right? You know? Think of these rules and then be afraid because if you break them, you're in trouble. No, the psalmist is saying meditate on the Torah. Read the story. Stay in the story. Remember God's story. Listen to God's story and then trust God. So let me ask you, which story are you listening to the most? That's the story that's going to shape your life. It's unavoidable. Is it God's story? Is it it the story of Jesus and his love and his grace? Or is it the story of fear and shame? When you watch the news and it begins to stir up fear in you, remember the faithfulness of God. When you look at your bank account balance and your anxiety starts to rise, remember God's promises to take care of you. When you fall short of being the person you want to be, and shame begins to rear its ugly head, remember God's delight in you. Remember Jesus died for you. Remember his love for you. 
Remember God's story and trust God. We grow by trusting God. And I'm convinced that while some of that growth we do on our own as as individuals, much of it comes, probably I would say most of it comes as we journey through life together. When I was at Muir Woods this time, I learned that redwoods often grow in what look like circles or clusters. That's a redwood circle there. You can see the guy standing at the bottom, so you get a little bit of the scale in the picture. Um, They often grow in circles or clusters like that. Well, that's because redwoods don't always start from a seed. Redwoods also send out runners uh, from, from their roots, which then sprout up as new trees. So you have this parent tree that sends out runners, and new trees sprout up all around that parent tree. Well, an individual redwood or any redwood tree actually has pretty shallow roots. Well, if you're a huge, huge tree with shallow roots, uh, when you get big and tall, it's pretty easy to be blown over in a storm. But when you have circles of redwoods like this, their roots all intertwine, and it creates this much stronger base for all of the trees, and they're able to stand as a result when the storms come. We grow by trusting God. But to do that, I am convinced we really do need the support and the encouragement and the challenges and the difficulties. We need everything that comes from journeying through life together in order to help each other become the people who really trust God. We're much more likely to be shaped by fear or shame when we're on our own. We grow best and we grow strongest when we grow together. That's why we have small groups here, right? That's why we have vineyard circles. Uh, We want to provide opportunities for you to connect with others and grow together with others in meaningful ways so that you can be blessed like a tree planted by streams of water. We grow by trusting God, and we do that best together. So I want to end this by playing a, a short video. Uh, this, is just, this is Jamie Birch sharing a little bit about what small groups have meant to her. Jamie Birch. Uh, my family and I have gone to Vineyard for quite a while now, and we were blessed to be a part of a small group. Um, and I just wanted to share our experience or my personal take on that. How lovely it was that we were graced with Julie Lanham's Rice Krispie treats whenever we had potlucks following our study or our time together. Uh, Adam was our small group leader and so that was always just such a gift because Adam and then really him holding the space for everybody every week just coming in where they were at um, kind of reflecting and examining in silence and solitude and just being able to come as we were and looking forward to that time we had together um, every week. We were, I was in it with my husband, Joe. I was in the group with my husband, Joe, and we were able to just relax and fall into these rhythms that um, were, we were learning about every week a little bit more, the rhythms that God has for us and how we're designed to live in a natural rhythm with the Holy Spirit and being able to access that and given the space to um, actually think about it and 
makes time a priority for that. So it's such a gift and we're still um, learning around that and still experiencing the blessing tenfold from what we were able to glean from that experience. Amen. Yeah, it reminds me of something that I'll probably talk about more next week too, but that you know, when we create space for God, he will fill it. He fills it, right? And that's really what small groups are. You're creating space for God, and he comes in and he fills that space and brings life into you. So I want to encourage you to do that. Amen?